Welcome to the Three Strands Podcast. Thank you for joining us. It's our hope and prayer that you will experience God's blessing in your life through our ministry. At Three Strands Church, our goal is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. But hey, I'm glad you guys are with us today, third week of this three-part series. This is your first week here. I hope you'll go back and listen to the other two weeks online. But uh, the name of the series is Freeze, and we're taking a look at some times in Jesus' life that were so important, such big deals, something happened that caught his attention, caused him to literally just stop dead in his tracks, just to freeze where he was at, take notice of him, pay attention to him, do something completely different than he had been planning on doing because these things were such big deals to him. And each of the first two weeks I've challenged you with this idea that if we will stop at the same moments and do the same things that Jesus did, we'll see the same things that Jesus saw. And so uh, I I just kind of challenged you with these three things, and I said we're going to look at one each week. And in Jesus' life, what they did for him was they gave his life extra strength. They... Um, caused him to make an impact or to change the world around him for the better. And they helped the people around him or closest to him to grow in their faith. And I said, wouldn't that be like the best legacy to leave behind when you die someday? That you walked through this world with extra strength, that you made a difference in the world for the better, and that you helped people grow in their faith. What a legacy. And that was definitely the legacy Jesus left And he's allowing us to do the same thing if we'll mimic or imitate what he does. So let me give you the third one. Here's the third one today. Freeze, stop in your tracks whenever there's an eternal opportunity. Now what's funny about this one is that we're really good at freezing, taking notice, paying attention, changing direction, doing something different whenever there's a temporary opportunity. Like we do that all the time. Somebody you know calls you or sends you a text like, hey man, there's this pickup truck for sale down the road and it's a sweet deal. You will literally clock out of work early to go check out that truck. You'll change your whole day to see this vehicle that's so good of a deal you can't pass up. Somebody's like, hey, there's a vacation to the Bahamas, but only if you act now, you can get at this price. And you will literally move heaven and earth to get that deal on that vacation. In fact, if somebody would just tell you like, hey, ground beef is on sale at Kroger and today's the last day, you will stop whatever you're doing just to go get the sale. Like we're really good at freezing, taking notice, paying attention to, changing our complete direction of our day over things that are only going to last us a few years, maybe just a week, maybe just for one meal. But Jesus would freeze pay attention to, take notice of, do something different whenever there was an eternal opportunity, an opportunity in front of him that wasn't just going to last till the burger was gone or till the trip was over. It wasn't just going to last until the vehicle broke down. It was going to last through all eternity. That kind of an impact, that kind of a difference, that kind of an opportunity. And so I want to show you that today, one of those times where Jesus had this opportunity in front of him, not a temporal or a temporary opportunity, but an eternal, an eternal, everlasting opportunity. A survey was done of Christians who attend church regularly. Christians who attend church regularly. And it found that 95% of them have never led one other person to faith in Jesus. How can that be? How could that be? In John chapter 4, which is where we're going to be most of the time today, in John chapter 4, Jesus comes across an eternal opportunity. He runs into this woman, and he has the chance to lead her to faith in him. And he's going to show us a blueprint for how to do it. Now, it's different than John chapter 3. If you back up to John chapter 3, a man named Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, a religious leader. And he comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, I know you're sent from God to give us answers, to teach us all things. Tell me, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus tells him. 
But most of the time, it doesn't work like that. That happens sometimes. Every once in a while in your life, a friend, a, a classmate, a coworker, a neighbor, maybe even a stranger, somebody in your family, somebody will come to you every once in a while with a spiritual question. Hey, man, I know you go to church, or I know you're into Jesus, or whatever. Can you help me with this? I just want to know, how do I get saved? How do I become a Christian? How do I have eternal life? How do I do life God's way? They may ask you some version of that question. They may ask you some spiritual question just about their everyday life. Hey, I don't even know how to pray. How do you pray? And you'll have the opportunity to share with them like Jesus did with Nicodemus. But those opportunities are few and far between. Every once in a while, somebody will come through the doors of our church, and they'll make a beeline for me before church or right after church, and they'll have one of those spiritual questions, like they came to church specifically to get an answer to that question. Hey, I want to be a Christian. I don't even know what to do. My life is in shambles. Help. We'll walk them through it, but that's rare. More often than not, they come to church, and they sit down. They kind of watch what's going on. They don't talk to hardly anybody. More often than not in your life, that's the reaction or response people are going to give you. They're not going to be hunting you down, begging you for answers from God's Word, asking you what it takes to have eternal life. That's the scene Jesus finds himself in when you get to John chapter 4. He's going to show us the blueprint for how to share your faith, how to tell somebody how to have eternal life, how to make an impact on them that will last forever when they don't even want it, when they're not looking for it, when they're not even thinking about it. How do you share your faith, present the good news about Jesus, tell somebody how to become a Christian, whatever label you want to put on it, how do you give somebody or lead somebody to faith in Jesus that will result in everlasting eternal life how do you do that when they're indifferent to it? They're not really even looking for it. That's the scene in John chapter 4. Jesus is going to give us perhaps his best example of how to lead somebody else to faith in him. And so if you're here and you're a Christian, this would be the perfect thing to take a couple notes on. Jot these things down, memorize them, commit them to your memory so you can go out of here and actually go into the 5% that are making an eternal impact in the world around them. That are sharing the good news about Jesus with somebody in a way that results in somebody gaining everlasting life out of it. In somebody getting a rich, abundant life that starts on day one, not after you die. So I want to go through these with you. I'll read through the story as we go. It's in John chapter 4. And we're not going to cover the whole thing. If you want to Go back and cover the whole thing. It's John chapter 4, verses 1 to 44. We're going to look at about a third of those verses today. But in this passage we're going to look at, Jesus is going to give us some lessons for how to lead somebody to faith in him. So i got five of them, okay? I'm going to give them to you as we read through the, the story. The first one is this. I called it the lesson of people. The lesson of people. Jesus was always laser-focused on his purpose, his mission in life. What was his mission in life? Well, he said it. I've come to seek and to save those who were lost. I've come to seek out and to save those people who are lost. Jesus was laser focused on his purpose. That kind of sums up our three weeks because when Jesus was crushed with grief in week one, he prayed to his father, right? When he was uh, confronted with some people who needed his help, he had pity and compassion on others. And today, when he's presented with an eternal opportunity, he stays laser-focused on his purpose, to seek out and to save people who are lost. Jesus was all about people. Let me rephrase that in case you're, you're like, you know, you're really selfish like me. Jesus was all about other people, Right? Because, I mean, all of us are a little bit about us. But Jesus was focused on a different purpose than us. He was focused on others, not himself. He was laser focused. He understood what it meant to love and care and be all about other people. Let me read you the beginning of the story in John chapter 4, starting in verse 3. So Jesus left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go. He had to go. 
through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired, Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So she said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Okay, this is the beginning of the story. Let me set the scene for you if you can see it in your head. Jesus is traveling. I'm going to give you some like rudimentary geographic information. I'm just using my hands, okay? So Jesus is traveling from Judea to Galilee. See the map? Everybody sees the map, right? Okay. And in between Judea and Galilee is this area called Samaria, okay? Now all of it is Israel, the country, the nation of Israel, right? But it had been broken up into these regions, Judea in the south and Galilee in the north. That's where all of the true pure blood, pure blood Jews lived. Right in the middle of it, this region called Samaria was full of what we would call today half-breeds. People who weren't full Jew. And the Jewish people who were full blood Jew hated those people. And they hated the full blood Jewish people. It was racism even worse than you would see in our country today. They hated each other. They wouldn't talk to each other. They would avoid each other. They were all one nation, but they lived in extreme racism. And so typically, a Jewish person wouldn't even walk through Samaria to get from Galilee to Judea, from Judea to Galilee. They would walk around it on the east or the west. They would either hug the Mediterranean Sea and walk up past it to get to Galilee, or they would cross, literally cross the Jordan River just so they wouldn't have to walk through Samaria and walk up the eastern side to get to Galilee. But Jesus says that I have to go through Samaria. He has to go through Samaria. Because he knew that in Samaria was waiting an eternal opportunity. And so he breaks through, and I want you to see this in the text here, right? I don't know if you're like me and you grew up in church. If you grew up in church, you heard a lot of information about this story, you know, growing up. It's called, like, I think by most Christians, the story of the woman at the well. Maybe you've heard that before. The woman at the well, probably because it's just like two W's. It alliterates real well, I guess, or whatever, you know. But the woman at the well, or some Bible translations will have a heading above the story that says the Samaritan woman, right? But you hear all this stuff about the story. Like Jesus, you know, he, he defied racism. And he walks through the middle of the country, runs into this woman. But throughout this story, you see Jesus literally breaking through every barrier, every barrier conceivable to make an eternal impact. Because he was all about people. There was like almost no barrier I could even think of. Think about him for a second. Let me walk you through him. There was this racial component that I just mentioned. Jesus busts right through that. And he's like, I don't care if she's a Samaritan or not. She needs to know the truth. But, but he doesn't stop there. He, he kind of busts through a uh, a, a gender barrier. You, I don't know if you noticed or not, but the woman even says to him, like, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you even asking me for a drink? Why are you even talking to me? See, what you've got to understand is, like, not only would it have been odd for a Jew like Jesus to be talking to a Samaritan, it would have been even more odd for him to be talking to a Samaritan woman. Jesus was a rabbi. Rabbis at this time weren't even supposed to talk to women in their own family let alone women from their own country, let alone women who were half-breeds. And Jesus breaks through this racial barrier. He breaks through this gender barrier. He breaks through a moral barrier. You're going to find out later in the story that this woman is morally corrupt. She's already been divorced five times. She's on her sixth man now. She's living with him, not even married. She's hopping from man to man to man. And Jesus doesn't let that stop him. He doesn't care how dirty she looks to everybody else, how messed up her life seems. He busts right through that moral barrier to make an eternal impact. 
And then there's a social barrier he has to break through. You wouldn't know this if you didn't really like study outside of the Bible, the history of that time. But the text tells us that she went to get the water from the well at noon. Do you guys get that? Jesus sits down at the well at noontime, and here comes this woman at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Nobody else would do that. She was the only one there getting water. Why? You would never go get water at noon. That's the hottest time of the day. From noon to about 5 or 6 o'clock, nobody got water from the well. They went to get water from wells in the Middle East two times a day when the sun first came up and right before the sun went down. The times when it would be coolest that they could still see. But here's this woman at noontime, most likely because she was walking around town with a big scarlet A on her, on her shirt. She was walking around town and everybody was looking at her like she was the sexually immoral woman. The one that can't hold down a relationship. The one that just keeps hopping from man to man to man. Divorce after divorce after divorce. Getting talked about behind her back, whispers as she passes other ladies in town probably. And so here she comes in the hottest part of the day to get some water, so hopefully she won't have to see anybody else. There's this social barrier where she's an outcast. She's ostracized by community in in her world. And Jesus busts right through that too. In other words, what he's saying is, I'm gonna share the truth with everybody, everywhere, all the time. I don't care what their situation in life, I don't care what their race or their gender, and we don't like that. And around here, it's like racism is hidden because so much of our county is just all white. But it's still here. Racism, discrimination, it's everywhere. It exists everywhere in the world. Be very careful before you say, I'm not a racist just because you're not around other people of color. Because you probably discriminate against people all the time. Maybe not because of their race. Maybe just because they don't make the same amount of money as you. Maybe just because they don't dress like you. Maybe just because they don't smell like you. i got to tell you, I've run into some people that just don't smell like me. Maybe because they don't talk like you. They don't believe like you. They don't vote like you. They don't have the same view as you on guns or on social justice. And all of a sudden, you hate their guts. And you would rather them end up in hell than you tell them about Jesus. We don't discriminate. We don't, tell, we don't act like that. We're not the same as that setting. In some ways, we might be worse. And some of you are sitting there right now thinking like, can't we get back to the gospel? Can't we get back to the, the, the Jesus stuff? I'm like, which Jesus stuff? The Jesus stuff you learned about in Sunday school when you were a kid? Or the Jesus that walked through Samaria and broke through every boundary and barrier to tell somebody you didn't even know how they can have everlasting life? Which Jesus are we going to get back to talking about? I thought about, this is kind of like a weird thing in me, I guess. Maybe you, you won't think like this, but see if you can like follow me on this, right? I was thinking about the word Samaria this week, you know, where Jesus walks through here, this region of Israel. Samaria. What does the word Samaria sound like to you? So I was doing that this week. I was like, Samaria sounds to me like some area. Does it, does it sound like that? I was thinking, we all have our Samaria. We all have some area that we don't really want to walk through. Some person we don't really want to walk up to. Some type of people we just don't want to be around. We'd rather walk around the outside when we see them coming. We don't really care if they make it to heaven. We don't really care if they experience freedom in Jesus. We just don't like them because they're not like us. It's our some area. And it got me thinking about this question. I want to ask it to you today. You ready? What are you walking around that Jesus wants you to walk through? Maybe a better way to say it would be who are you walking around that Jesus wants you to walk up to? It got me thinking this week, like, you know what we really want? If we're being honest, if you're a Christian and you're here and you're like, yeah, I love Jesus and I follow him, you know what we really want most of the time? We want to take the cross and we want to dismantle it into pieces. And we want to say, like, I like this part. I like the up and down beam. The part where God does all this stuff for me. 
and he helps me, and he saves me. But I don't like this crossbar, this horizontal part of the cross, where Jesus is in my business, telling me what to do as I relate to other people around me. Where he's telling me to love people that aren't like me. He's telling me to share my faith with people I might not even know. That's all uncomfortable. I'd like to just rip that thing apart and just take the part I like. The cross as we see it, not as it really is. Are you a five percenter or are you a 95 percenter? Has the devil sold you on all the lies? You don't know enough. You're too new of a Christian. Your story's not that interesting. They're not ready to hear the truth. Uh, They'll reject you. They'll figure it out on their own. What lie have you bought into that is keeping you in the 95% of people that has never been able to see somebody come to faith at your leading? Jesus knew this lesson, the lesson of people. Here's the second lesson. The lesson of tactfulness. The lesson of tactfulness. Isaac Newton said, I don't know if I got this in there or not. Let me read you the passage first. Look at verse 10. Verse 10. Jesus replied to this woman, If only you knew the gift God has given you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, she said, you don't even have a rope or a bucket. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? She's sarcastic with him. And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer us better water? How can you offer us better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? This is the lesson of tactfulness. Jesus doesn't get angry at her. He doesn't criticize her for being kind of smart with him, for being sarcastic with him. He's offering her literally eternal life, living water. And what she do, she's like, how are you going to do that? You don't even have a bucket, dude. How are you going to give us any better water that's in this well? Are you better than all of our historically great ancestors? Who do you think you are? And Jesus is like, if you knew how I was. If you knew who I was, you'd be begging me for this living water. I want to give it to you. But he approaches the conversation with tact. He doesn't go into a monologue where he just preaches at her. He enters into a dialogue where he talks, to her about her, uh, talks with her about stuff in her life. What's going on in her relationships. What he can do for her. What he can offer her. He has some talk back and forth with her about where to worship. The best, best place to have church services. Stuff she asks him and he answers it. It's tactful. Isaac Newton said it this way. Tact is the act of making a point without making an enemy. And Jesus did this well with this woman. See, it's our job to have small talk with people. I know you don't like that, especially if you're a guy probably. You just want to like get to it. But small talk matters. Why? Because that's how you find out about people. If you're like, well, I don't know how to talk to people and find out about them. Here's how you do it. You ready? Everybody in the world, this applies to you. Ready? I can tell you in five seconds what you should be talking to them about. You ready? Talk to them about them. Everybody likes to talk about their stuff. Just talk to them about them. Ask them about their family. Ask them about their friends. Ask them about their career. Ask them about their hobbies, what sports teams they like. That's what people talk about. Where they like to go out to eat, where they like to shop. That's what people talk about. You get them talking about that, and in a few minutes, you'll uncover what their greatest needs are, what the most important things in their life are, what their biggest concerns are. Small talk. It matters. Because we're supposed to hear from people and then offer them Jesus at the areas of their greatest need, where they're most hurting, most struggling, most broken. It's the lesson of tactfulness because people aren't ever won into God's kingdom by arguing. And if you find yourself arguing with a bunch of people who don't know Jesus yet, you've entered into the wrong conversation. You can't argue somebody into heaven. That's not even our job. And some people yell in judgment at other people, letting them know how evil and wicked and messed up they are and telling them to get their act cleaned up and act together. And then the person rejects them and they go off acting like something great just happened, like, oh, just just suffering for Jesus, just being persecuted for righteousness. No, you're not. You're being persecuted because you're a jerk, not because of righteousness. Jesus didn't do that to this woman. He didn't call her damaged goods. He didn't point out how screwed up she was so she could feel guilty about it. 
He didn't tell her she needed to get her act together before she came to him. No, this is what he told her. Are you ready? He talks to her for a little while, and basically this is what he says to her. He says, you keep going back to the same well over and over again, but keep getting thirsty. I can give you better water. Now, depending on where you grew up and the culture you grew up in, those words might have like multiple definitions or connotations. They all apply to this woman. She kept going back to the same well, but kept getting thirsty. Whether it was water or men, she was never satisfied. It never worked out. She always needed more. She always needed something different. But she kept going back to the same source for something different. That's never going to happen. What Jesus says, he's like, hey, I'm not offering you something different. I'm offering you something better from a completely different source. Living water. She even says it to him. Who do you think you are? You think you can give us better water than this well? And he's like, absolutely. I'm not offering you water. I'm offering you living water. Better water from a completely different source. And it leads us into the third lesson Jesus is showing for us when we're trying to lead somebody to him. The lesson of blessing. The lesson of blessing. Let me read it to you. Verse 13, it goes on. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water, anyone? I mean, anyone except like the really bad people like her? No, anyone. Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. What'd she say in verse 15? Please, sir, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. The lesson of blessing. Jesus is saying, quit looking for something different from the same place. Instead, let me offer you something better from a completely new source. The blessings are endless. The rewards are unmatched. And the life is eternal. And it's available to everyone. He's presenting her with all the reward and blessing that's waiting for her. Heaven, eternal life, water that never lets you get thirsty again. A completely satisfied existence. And he offers it to her. She responds sarcastically again. But Jesus now makes it clear to her. What I'm talking about here is not water. I'm talking about eternal life. I'm talking about everlasting freedom and existence in heaven. It's the only solution to your problem, and it's available to everyone. She seems to want it, doesn't she? Please, sir, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again. Well, who wouldn't want it at that point? Hold on, there's more to the story, Jesus is going to say. Everybody wants it up to there. You ready? What have we covered? Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to love everybody, no matter their situation, no matter their race, no matter the barriers that are in in between us. I don't care what race, what gender, what society thinks of you. I don't care your social status, your morality. I'm going to love you no matter what. Who wouldn't want that? Sign me up. Then he approaches her with tact. He doesn't scream her. He doesn't belittle her. He doesn't shout her down. He just comes at her and says, like, hey, I'm offering you something awesome. I want you to know all about it. Who, me? Yeah, you comes at her with loving tact. And then he offers the reward. Hey, heaven, eternal life, everything you could ever want, completely satisfied existence starting right now. Sign me up for that too. Everybody's on board at this time, at this point, except from Jesus. And he says, whoa, slow your roll. Hold your horses, ma'am. I got to give you lesson number four. It's the lesson of bad news. The lesson of bad news. Listen to what he says. It doesn't even seem like it fits in with what they were talking about. Verse, the next verse, verse 16, he says, all right, go get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, she replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. You aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Jesus calls out her greatest struggle not to make her feel guilty, not to make her feel more ashamed than she already is, not to simply point out how bad she is, but to point out how bad the situation is. She needs to know that her life is actually not going in a good direction. 
that what she's been trying isn't working, that it's not healthy for her, it's not working the way she would want it to work. He's not trying to make her feel bad. He's trying to point out that what she's been trying isn't working. So maybe it's time to try something different. He's trying to let her know that she's a little uncomfortable, but that's okay. Because the truth needs to come out. And so he exposes the truth in a way that we couldn't do because he's God. He knows what's going on in her life. Makes her uncomfortable. She squirms a little bit about it. But that's okay. She tries to even change the subject on him a couple times. He answers her questions quickly and then immediately gets back to the main important thing. Why does he do that? Here's why. You ready? Because a person cannot fully understand the good news until they fully understand the bad news. That they're messed up and the way they're trying to live isn't working out the right way. They need to hear somebody tell them that. It's not going to work out the way you think it's going to work out if you keep doing it your own way. And they need somebody to tell them that. You say, that's confrontational. Absolutely. Jesus is confrontational, not to make you feel bad, but so you'll recognize how bad it is. And when you recognize how bad it is, now you can really want the good news he's offering. So he does this to her. He gives her the lesson of bad news, and he never shot away from the truth of the bad news. You can't just go at people with all like gumdrops and roses. You got to be honest with them and be like, hey, Jesus is looking you square in the face and saying, Will you drop everything and follow me? Will you give up the way you've been doing it and do it my way instead? Will you say no to all the things you feel and instead trust me in faith when I say something? And that's confrontational. I'd love to just walk up to everybody and be like, hey, God loves you. Jesus wants to offer you heaven. Do you want it? Yup. We'd be packing this place out. We'd be overflowing into the parking lot. They'd be beating down the doors to have eternal life. Until we get to this part, you say, but you know what? You can no longer be your own God. If Jesus says it's wrong, it's wrong. If Jesus says it's right, it's right. If he tells you to do it, you got to do it. If he says it's not the best thing for you, then you trust him, even if your feelings say something else. It's the lesson of bad news. And then here's the fifth one he gives us. The lesson of story. The lesson of story. Jesus did this great job of always pulling it back to him. Now, he is the story, so when he's talking, it sounds like he's kind of like self-serving, but he's God. And that should be what our story sounds like. The only value in my story is that I can pull people back to Jesus' story. That he lived for me, that he died for me, that he rose from the dead for me. And that he offers eternal life and freedom and peace to me if I will believe and repent. We'll come back to that in just a second. Let me read it to you in the story. Jesus kind of comes back to himself. The woman said in verse 25, I know the Messiah is coming. Messiah is just a word that means the Christ or the Savior, the one who's coming to save or deliver us. She says, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus, I love this verse. Jesus told her, I'm the guy. I am the Messiah. Let's make no more mistake about it. I'm the Christ. I'm the only one that can save you. I am the way, the truth, the life. I'm the only one. This is the first time that Jesus claims to be the Messiah. The first three chapters of John, you see his disciples claiming he's the Messiah, telling people he's the Son of God. You see John the Baptist proclaiming it out loud. Here comes the Christ, the Son of the living God. But in John chapter 4, for the first time, Jesus says, I am the Messiah. He smacks her right in the face with the only story that matters. Hey, all this other stuff is good. Let's talk about it. Where are we supposed to worship? What are we supposed to do with our lives? What's going on at your house with your husband? All that stuff matters. But Jesus brings it back to the only thing that really matters. I am the Christ. I will explain everything to you. I will save you. Are you ready? The lesson of story. Listen, when you're telling your story, you can't lead anybody else to follow Jesus if you won't tell your story. 
You ready? I don't care how many verses from the Bible you read, how loud you preach and scream, how good, you, how good of a person you are or appear to be to the community. If you can't get honest about what Jesus has done for you, then don't expect anybody else to want what you're selling. And, and when you're telling somebody else your story, don't use like Christianese. You know what Christianese is? It's like its own language, like people that go to church all the time and they talk a certain way. Like when you're talking to somebody about following Jesus, don't, tell, don't talk to them about getting washed in the blood. Don't freak them out with stuff, all right? They don't need to know about getting washed in the blood or grafted into a body. It's just going to scare them. Just talk to them about the real story. So what I want to do is I want to just give you a couple tips for sharing your story. Can I give you three quick tips for sharing your story? Here's the first one. Don't glorify your past. I've heard some people tell their stories, and it's kind of like uh, they'll, they'll like walk up, sit down, say, hey, man, can I tell you my story? And their story sounds something like this, like, oh, man, way back in the day. You know, back in the day, I used to get hammered every weekend. <laughs> I was awesome. Used to hang out with my friends. We'd go around, we'd do whatever we want, sleep around. And then I decided, you know, really got to grow up, start doing the right thing, and I decided to follow Jesus. That's like, what are, what are you asking me to do here? You're making your old life sound better than you. Are you really free in Christ? Do you really have peace in your heart? Because you're making the way it used to be sound better than the way Jesus says it's going to be. Oh, man, those were the good old days, weren't they? No, they were awful. I was wrecking my life back then. I don't want you to do all that stuff. I want you to know when I lay my head down at night now, I feel nothing but peace. I'm not worried about the police busting through the door. I'm not worried about some girl telling my girlfriend I'm two-timing her behind her back. I'm not worried about getting a DUI on the way home. No, I'm living the life God wants me to live. And when I lay down at night, I feel nothing but peace and God's grace on my life. And you might think what you have is fun, but I'm telling you, if you keep running back to the same well, you're going to keep getting the same bad results. The relationships that don't work, the impact that never comes, the peace that you never feel. So don't glorify your past. Here's the second tip on telling your story. Your story is about Jesus, not you. Don't make yourself the hero of the story. Oh man, I was struggling with drugs. But then... I pulled myself up by the bootstraps, decided to get myself sober, started going to meetings, started working my program. I did it. Are you trying to convert somebody to become a follower of Jesus or to think you're awesome? Jesus is the only hero of a real story. If he's not, then you're just as lost as the person you're talking to. So you better make sure Jesus is the hero of your story, that it all comes back to his life and his death and his resurrection and his offer to you of freedom and everlasting life. Here's tip number three. Ask the tough question. When you get to the end of your story, when you've exchanged stories with someone, you're always going to feel like shutting her down right then. You're going to hear the whisper from the enemy in your ear being like, don't ask them. They're not ready yet. They haven't heard enough yet. They don't know enough about the Bible yet. You, you think you've got to know a lot about the Bible to follow Jesus? This woman didn't even have the Bible. It wasn't, most of, half of it wasn't even written yet. She didn't even know the guy she was talking to was the Messiah. You, you think you've got to know all the facts? Where, where's that in the Bible? The journey doesn't start with facts. It starts with faith. The Bible even says, don't lean on your own understanding but instead, in all of your ways, just trust him. And he'll make your path the right one. You don't have to know all the answers. I get it that people have questions and they want to know, what's the deal with creation? Doesn't sound legit. Was there really a worldwide flood? Did Jesus really walk on water and turn water into wine? I got questions. I just want to know. Why is there so much killing in the Bible? Those are all great questions. There's all kinds of time for those down the road, but I'm telling you, Jesus died for you, and he came back from the dead, and he's looking at you saying, you ready to follow me or not? Ask him the question. You're always going to feel like it's not the right time, but ask him anyhow. What's the question? Will you follow Jesus with everything you got or not? 
Will you follow Jesus with your whole heart or not? Maybe another way to say it is this. Will you turn away from everything you have been and everything you have done and embrace everything Jesus is and everything Jesus did for you? It's yes or no. You don't have to know a bunch of fancy Bible words or theological terms. You don't have to know the Greek origin of certain passages. You don't have to have memorized 42 verses. You don't have to have been at church for at least a year. You don't have to walk down some aisle. All you have to do is answer that question. It's repent and believe. Repent and believe. We'll come back to it again. What am I saying? Here's what I'm saying. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone, not just the people we like, not just the ones who act like us and think like us. We warn everyone and teach everyone, not just the people we're comfortable with. We do it with all the wisdom God has given us. Not all the wisdom in the world. Not all the wisdom God has. All the wisdom he's given us. It's not the pastor's job. Aaron, didn't we just talk about that this week? Aaron was like, can you imagine if every person in this church just went out and made it a goal to reach one person this year? We'd be the biggest church in the county next year. And that doesn't even matter. I don't even care if they come to this church. I just don't want them to end up in hell. I want them to know Jesus and live eternally with God. We do it with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God someday. Perfect in their relationship to Christ. What's your purpose? Are you freezing and sticking to the purpose to seek and to save those that are lost? I know they're not all just like you. I know you're not going to really like them all. What does that have to do with it? God loves them all. Repent and believe. Will you follow Jesus with your whole heart? So here it is, right? Repent and believe. They're just like two sides of one coin. Repent is when I change my mind. I change my direction. I change the way I think about everything I've been doing and everything I've been thinking. I change the way I think about that stuff. A new worldview. I stop going in this direction and I turn around and I go in the opposite direction. That's believe. I repent of what I have been doing and I believe what Jesus says to do. I repent of what I have thought and I believe what Jesus tells me to think. I turn away from everything I have been and everything my feelings are telling me to do and I embrace everything Jesus did for me and everything he's telling me I should do in my life. Repent and believe. That's it. Romans 10.9 says it this way. If you will just confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord, that means he's the boss. He gets to tell me what to do, no matter what I think, what I feel, or what anybody else in my life says. If I will confess with my mouth that Jesus is the Lord, the one in charge, the boss of my life, the only one that gets to make decisions for me, if I will confess that, and I will believe in my heart, that God raised him from the dead for me, then I will be saved. Repent and believe. Confess, admit that what I've been doing is not the right thing, and embrace and believe everything Jesus has done and is saying. Do you get it? Have we simplified it enough that all of us could tell somebody about it? God loves you no matter what the barriers. I'm not here to beat you down about it. I just want you to know the truth. I love you anyhow. There's a reward, a blessing that's so great, so beyond anything you can imagine, and Jesus is offering it to you, and you need it because life for all of us is screwed up. You're not any more screwed up than me, but we're all screwed up, and we need him. Let me tell you my story of what he did for me. And I get to the end, and I look somebody in the eyes, and I say, now... Are you ready to follow him too? And I can't promise that everybody will. But if you never ask anybody, I can promise you'll always be in that 95%.
if you are here today and you've never decided to follow Jesus, here's the time. Will you follow Jesus with your whole heart? You don't have to tell me. You don't have to sign anything. You don't have to cry. You don't have to come up front, let me smack you on the forehead or any of that stuff that people do. You don't have to do any of that. Jesus didn't have that woman do any of that stuff. Yes or no? You don't have to tell me. Tell him. If you've already done that, you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, then I got a question for you. Well, I guess it's actually the same question. Will you follow Jesus through your whole heart? Because here's the truth. You ready? This, this is the harsh truth. There's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't share their faith with somebody else. That doesn't exist. How can you say, I'm following Jesus when he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel? And you don't. Then how can you say you're following what he says to do? I mean, I'm, I'm just like a logical thinker, so I'm just thinking, like logically, they don't go together. I get it that you're scared, that you feel like you don't know enough. We just simplified it down to what you need to know. Didn't we? God loves you. I don't want to beat you over the head about the stuff you've done. I just need you to know it's not good and you need help. But God is offering help if you will just say yes to what Jesus did for you. That's it. Will you follow him or not? And if you will, if you'll follow him, if you're here and you're already following him, and you're determined to go out and tell people about him and see people cross over from spiritual death to spiritual life, then you'll become Daniel 12.3. Can I read it to you? Daniel 12.3 says this. Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever throughout all eternity. Somebody in your world this week needs to know that God loves them and will break through any barrier to get to them. They need to know that you're on their side. You're not trying to bash them over the head and tell them to clean up their act. But instead, you're offering what Jesus is offering, eternal life if you'll start to trust him. They need to know that you have a story that's really just like theirs. I get asked, I've gotten asked several times over the years, if you're one of these people, I'm not really thinking of you if you're here, but I don't know if any of the people are here, but I've been asked several times over the years, why don't we do an altar call? You ever been to a church that does like an altar call? It's all good. Altar calls are good. I was like, well, we don't have an altar, first of all, but we could make one, I guess, but why don't you do an altar call? Why don't you ever do that pastor thing where they're like, I need everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. <laughs> and if you want to follow Jesus, just go ahead and slip that hand up right there. And then you go like, yeah, I see that hand, I see that hand. Or why don't you say to people like, hey, if you want to follow Jesus, everybody close your eyes. If you want to follow Jesus, just look up here till, till our eyes meet. And you're looking out at the crowd like that. Like, why, why don't you? That stuff's all good. There's nothing wrong with any of that, right? But whenever I get asked why we don't do that, I'm going to give you the reason. Here's why I don't do that typically. Every once in a while, we've done that in the past. But here's the reason why we don't usually do that. You ready? Because if somebody decides to follow Jesus with their whole heart, I don't have to ask them to tell me. They're going to tell somebody. I can't imagine Jesus setting somebody free from slavery and bondage and captivity and guilt and shame and then being like, I'm just going to stay quiet about that. I'm just going to keep that to myself. <laughs> doesn't do that. You don't do that. You're jazzed up. You're pumped. You're going to tell somebody. They may not tell you. I don't care if they tell me. Who am I? The story's not about me. I want them to tell somebody, and I know enough to know if they really decide to follow Jesus, Jesus will invade their life and transform them into a new person, and they'll be so energized that they will tell somebody else. Because forgiven people forgive other people. Saved people tell other people how to be saved. I know they'll do it. I want to leave you guys with a short summary of a story from just about 65 years ago now. 
On January 8, 1956, a group of Wadani Indians in Ecuador killed Jim Elliott, who was 28 years old at the time, and his four missionary companions as they were trying to bring the good news about Jesus to the Wadani tribe, a violent tribe who had never allowed outsiders into their tribe or to influence their culture. Four young wives lost husbands and nine children lost their fathers that day. There have been books written about it. There's movies about it. Elizabeth Elliot, Jim's wife, wrote that the world called it a nightmare of tragedy and word spread all over the United States for weeks about this tragedy in Ecuador of these young missionaries who were executed by these Wadani tribesmen. Then she added, but what the world did not recognize was the truth from the second clause in Jim's journal entry from just a few days earlier before he was killed. And here's what he wrote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I've heard that phrase my whole life growing up. It's been spread through churches all over this world. And just a few days later, Jim Elliott and his friends would die at the tips of spears, living out this very thing he had written in his journal. And he was no fool because he gave up everything to gain something he'd never lose. We're good at freezing for the stuff that we lose quickly. But what if we started giving up all that stuff to gain something that would last forever? We'd start to see people grow in their faith. We'd start to see people cross over from death to life. We'd start to make a difference in the world around us. And we'd start to have an impact that echoed throughout all eternity. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for our church. Thank you for the people who have been here today and have listened to your word, have listened to the teaching from your word. And God, I pray right now you would bombard our hearts with your love and truth. And you would give us all the courage to act on what we hear. And real quick before we end, I just want to say to you guys who are here today, if you've never decided to follow Jesus, don't wait. Just tell him right now in the next few minutes, yeah, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm all in. For the rest of my life, I'm with Jesus. And I promise you in that moment, he will transform you and rescue you. And then you get to go out of here and tell everybody else about it. And watch them look across the table, look across the couch, look across the the park, wherever you're at with them. You get to look at them, look at you, and say back to you, yeah, I want to follow Jesus too. There's nothing like it in the whole world. It's the greatest high I've ever felt. When somebody looks back at me and says, yeah, I want to follow Jesus too. You can be part of that. Just go out of here and start telling people, freezing when there's an eternal opportunity, and tell them about your faith. In Jesus' name I pray.